So I think, as we all know, the NHS is currently going through major organisational change as it implements the Health and Social Care Act. Many of the organisations, interestingly, that uh, in an earlier report the National Quality Board published were identified as having key roles and responsibilities for quality and also for identifying and preventing quality failures either no longer exist, National Patient Safety Agency being abolished, or are in the process of being abolished, uh, critical roles for the strategic health authorities and primary care trusts in the sort of overall safety architecture. Uh, one enduring organisation, which we'll hear more about in due course, obviously the Care Quality Commission. But there's a huge amount of change, and I think everybody is aware, indeed the National Quality Board themselves have put out a report about transition risks, that this is really a very significant time for keeping focused on quality. I think together with the financial pressures that the NHS faces and actually perhaps more intense pressures that social care faces, I think we're all aware that there are real risks at the moment to the quality of care for patients and users. So I would argue that it's probably more important now as ever for everybody to put quality first on their agenda. And I suppose... I want to also say that there's a, a risk that people are waiting for Francis. We ourselves put out a report preparing for the Francis report, but in it we're trying to argue really that uh, we shouldn't be waiting for Francis to tell us. We actually know very well the events at Midstaffs. Certainly they're well known now through a series of, of, of earlier inquiries. And anyone here who followed the inquiry, followed the hearings and the seminars, will be very familiar with what went wrong. And the NHS, I think, needs to act now on what we already know and uh, not wait for Francis. And what we have argued is needed in our paper is really to focus on three lines of defence, with the regulation and external systems and structures being the third line of defence. Because we think that there's been rather too much emphasis placed on regulatory failure and turning to blame the regulator when things go wrong. And we argue that uh, the first line of defence are frontline professionals, the second line of defence are boards and senior leaders, and it's only the third line of defence that are the external structures. Frontline staff deal with patients and carers every day. They witness uh, when things go wrong, but they also are the ones that have ideas about how quality of care could be improved. And so it's absolutely vital that they are empowered both to speak up and there's obviously been a lot of discussion about whistleblowing, uh, a more formal way, but speaking up just in everyday practice, but also empowered to act when they see things, to be able to prevent them, to be able to make changes in the services that can improve quality. And I think it's vital that that line of defence is robust, because increasingly for boards and senior leaders of very complex healthcare organisations, indeed uh, some of the larger social care chains, the issues would be similar. It is extremely difficult for them to know what is going on and to really be able to assure themselves, and I'm sure Elizabeth will speak uh, more about this in due course, but they are ultimately accountable when things go wrong and certainly should be in a position 
to uh, address problems that are caused by systems and processes. I think one of the things that boards and senior leaders can do is create a culture of openness. Openness together with clear accountability and responsibility for staff. And at the final level, I think we've got to be clear what regulation and what external quality assurance can and can't do. It is there to assure the public about the quality of care, but these national organisations are fairly limited in the extent that they can know what is going on in every place, in every care encounter, and we must recognise that limit. But one of the things I want to, to argue is that I think at every level of care that I've just talked about, it's important that the voice of patients, of users, of carers and families is heard. And it's already happening to some extent. I think you know one of the things that uh, Cynthia at the Care Quality Commission uh, was ensuring was that more use was being made of soft data, views of patients and users on websites and forums, that inspectors were speaking to users and reporting those views and increasingly, I believe, expert users were starting to join in inspection teams. At board level, it's really vital there, too, that the voice of patients is heard. We you know, know about some boards who start with a patient's story to remind them why they're there. Certainly, it is important that executives have the opportunity to hear directly from patients and users. But there's other ways too. I think one of the examples from mid-staffs was that if you just looked at the number of complaints, it wasn't an outlier. It was only when you read the complaints. It was the content. It was the content of what patients, users and families were saying. And I think the same is true for professionals. Um, our work on point of care finds that staff, particularly in hospitals, but I'm sure it's true in other settings, are under such pressure that they have very little time to care, time to listen to the experience of patients. And we've been working with Trust through our point of care programme to introduce things like patient shadowing to really help staff see care through the eyes of patients. We've also been introducing Schwartz rounds. These are regular opportunities from staff across the organisation to gather and discuss the emotional aspects of care. <clears throat> and it's these things that I think are, are vitally important if we're going to protect patients from poor quality of care. Of course, individuals themselves have got to be encouraged to speak up if they see or experience <clears throat> care that fails to meet standards. But I think we argue that the onus must lie with those providing care and those responsible for oversight to listen and to create opportunities for patients to be heard. So if the reaction to Francis is just to talk about the regulators, is just focused on singling out particular organisations for attention, then I think we will have missed an opportunity and perhaps have missed the point. I think it's really vital that the NHS moves away from a culture that is often rather too complicit in allowing poor care to take place. And so the focus, I think, has to be much more on culture. And I'm going to close by reading a quote that we um, have in the report, which is from the National Quality Board. Safeguarding quality is not the responsibility of a single organisation or reliant on a single process. Its success is dependent on the culture within and between organisations, which in turn needs to be underpinned by robust systems and processes and clarity around roles and responsibilities. 
It is a collective endeavour and a collective responsibility. We agree.